Well, good morning again. My name is Eric and uh, my wife, Giovanni, you just heard from her. We are the pastors here at The Story. We're a new congregation still kind of taking shape and finding our footing here in, inside the loop. And uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, thank you for sacrificing the first quarter of the Texans opening day to be here. I know that means a lot to Jesus who, you know, <laughs> took the cross for you, but uh, more or less the same. Um, thank you all for, for being here. We're starting a new series today called God Loves Science. And um, there's so many more things I want you all to, to know that are coming. I, I just don't want to spend a lot of time on them. So be sure you read through the, uh, the bulletin that you were given today. Uh, got a big deal coming up uh, having to do with science. John Lennox is coming to talk uh, at Rice University. We have a simulcast here, the live simulcast on a Monday night during this series. It's, uh, Lennox is a professor at uh, Oxford University, mathematics professor. And the talk is about, uh, has science buried God? So it fits in perfectly with what we're going to be talking about for the next six Sundays. So I hope that you can uh, be here for that. We've also, again, got a full house. So I got to say this, uh, 9.30 service is coming later this fall. The first preview service for the 9.30 is like a month away. October the 11th, we're going to have a preview service for the 9.30 hour. Uh, and that service will be really cool. And if it works better for you and your family, then I hope you'll, you'll be a part of that. So... Uh, today does start our new series, God Loves Christians. Uh, God Loves Christians. <laughs> God Loves... <laughs> Can we edit that? No. Dang it. God Loves Science and Christians Should Too. Do you ever feel like um, what you're about to say could lose you some friends? you ever feel like that? That's how I'm feeling today. I feel like uh, this is one of those issues that is so near to people's hearts, some people's hearts, that uh, we can easily get offended. I got a feeling that some of the things I'm going to say to you over the next six weeks or so are going to be somewhat shocking, somewhat offensive. We're not always going to agree on these issues, and I'm sure there are people on either extreme with whom uh, I'm going to disagree or you're going to disagree with me over the next six weeks, and you'll probably feel you know, compelled to get up and walk out once in a while, or you'll get angry, or you'll have that email written to me by the time you come forward for communion. Uh, and, you know, that's just, that's the nature of things now. That's just reality. That's how it works, especially within the Christian community. Christians get up in arms like nobody's business. Like, we get so upset as a people. We get so angry about issues A, B, and C um, that, that, we're kind of known for that now, if you've noticed, and that's especially true on social media. Uh, how many of you are on any platform of social media regularly? If you are, y'all are all liars, all of you, <laughs> without your hands up. It's like 10% of you are on social media in this room. Uh, a bunch of monks or something, I don't know. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the reality is that social media gives us a cover as Christians to act out even more and to be even more uh, uh, combative and condemning of those with whom we disagree on social media platforms. I mean, I, I love being a Christian and I love being on social media. I do not love being a Christian on social media because no matter what's happening, whenever someone brings up issues A, B, or C, Anything related to women's rights or anything related to, you know, uh, gay issues or anything related to climate change or global warming, whatever you call it, anything political, 
anything science related, I know that Christian will always show up and represent all the rest of us. Do y'all know that Christian? Some of you are that Christian. <laughs> Let's be honest. That Christian always comes to defend the faith, to contend for the gospel in the face of all of this, you know, business on social media that they disagree with because, you know, Almighty God created everything that is and is all-powerful and omnipotent and omnipresent and all this. But Almighty God, when, when an atheist says religion is the cause of all the world's problems, it hurts God's feelings. And he needs that Christian to go and stand up for him on Facebook and to defend him. That's how we often um, look at it. And, and so often um, the same is true with science-related uh, science Issues, people get up in arms uh, about them. And it gets nasty really quickly. It's almost like a script when that Christian gets involved on social media. It gets nasty. And people notice. People are watching you on social media. And uh, Ricky Gervais is a very uh, famous uh, comedian and uh, also an atheist, well-known atheist. This is what he said on Twitter. He said, I've never been insulted by hateful Satanists for not believing in their devil, only by loving Christians for not believing in their God. Ricky Gervais has over 10 million Twitter followers. This tweet was retweeted over 4,000 times because it struck a nerve with people. We Christians have, in many circles, become known for being mean for uh, being combative, and uh, Ricky Gervais uh, names it here. This is all I'm saying. Facebook was invented in 2004. Reddit followed in 2005. And my research is unscientific here, but I think I can say with near certainty that there have been exactly zero unbelievers who converted to Christianity because of some Facebook fight they had. I don't know, maybe it happens. Is anyone, was anyone here like a really hardcore atheist until that Christian told you on Reddit that he didn't come from no monkey or whatever they say on Reddit? You know, like anybody here convert to Christianity because of a combative Christian you found online? No. It doesn't work that way, does it? We, we have to watch the way that we come across on issues like this, especially. We have to be careful because there are people watching most of the people watching belong to the generations younger than me. And they are watching and they are making decisions based on what they're seeing from us in those situations. So, Christians on social media. Let's talk for a second, okay? Christians on social media. I love you. I'm one of you. I hope to be in heaven with you. One day, but Christians on social media, if we're going to be like eternal roommates, I'm just going to need you to relax a little bit. I'm going to need you to step away from the keyboard and go for a walk. And maybe I almost provided y'all with brown paper bags just to breathe into when you just feel overwhelmed, you know, just whatever it takes to calm down Christians on social media because people are watching and making decisions based on how we behave in public spheres and the things that we say and how we say them and whether or not we express any authentic concern for the opinions of others. So... I think that's a good place to begin this series.
And if you are a Christian who thinks science is the enemy, the enemy of God or the enemy of the church, you know, maybe, maybe take out that proverbial paper bag during this sermon because I'll probably say some things today and over the next six weeks that you may not have heard before in church. But I think I can say what I'm about to say on good authority because Jesus himself said that we are going to be shocked when we get to heaven. Shocked by who's there and shocked by who is not there. And I have become convinced that when we get to heaven, there will be big bang evolutionists there with us. And there will be young earth creationists who read the Bible literally in hell. That's how things will work according to the parables Jesus told. We will be shocked by who we find in heaven and who we don't find there. So, I believe there are faithful Christians in this room. Probably, if I had to guess, 20% of this room believe that the earth is somewhere around 9,000 years old because you've added up all the years in the Bible, and that's how old the Bible says the earth is. You believe the earth is 9,000 years old, and God created every species just the way it looks today as is. And you're a faithful Christian. There are faithful Christians in this room who believe in something called intelligent design. And you believe that God has somehow been micromanaging some process of creation over many, many years. And you believe that species themselves can evolve within a species, but that one species doesn't evolve into another. It's called microevolution. And some of you are there today, and you're a faithful Christian. There are faithful Christians in this room who believe in, in uh, natural selection. You believe in Darwinism. And I'm here to tell you, you can follow Jesus with your Bible in your right hand and origin of species on your bookshelf or in your left hand. It can be done. You can follow Jesus and be a faithful Christian because this issue and so many of the issues we're going to talk about during this God Love Science series are not issues of ultimate concern for Christians. We treat them like they are when we disagree on Facebook, but these issues are not salvation issues. They're fun to talk about. They're fascinating. They can be enlightening and they can enliven your faith journey, but we shouldn't treat some of these issues as though souls hang in the balance. Okay? Um, that's very important as, as we get started today. And some of you, some of you probably don't even know what you believe on this. Probably 20% of the room don't know what you believe on this science and faith stuff. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Texans and Chiefs kick off in uh, 22 minutes. And you'd like me to get to the point. So here it is. <laughs> Here's the point. You can be a Christian and a young earth creationist. You can be a Christian and advocate for intelligent design. You can be a Christian and a, uh, a believer in an evolutionary natural selection process. You can be a Christian and a Texan fan. You can be a Christian and a Dallas Cowboys fan. Grab your paper bags. That's what I wanted you to have the paper bags for, was that line right there. It can be done. The grace of God extends farther than you can imagine. But do you know what you cannot be? You cannot be a Christian and a hateful jerk on Facebook. You can't do those things. That doesn't work that way, and it doesn't help. And I'm telling you, there are generations of people younger than me who are hanging in the balance, generations of people who have been deceived. Deceived by religion, deceived by academia, deceived uh, uh, by the people closest to them, 
and deceived by the media especially. We have been deceived into believing that science and faith are inherently at war, that science and faith are natural enemies, that you can't really love and appreciate science while you love and follow Jesus. You can't do both of those things. And some of you went to legalistic churches. You grew up in legalistic churches where they told you that God wrote verbatim the Bible that we have, the King James Version of the Bible. God wrote it in the King's English verbatim through some guy's hand. God wrote it just as it is. And anything you come across in this life that challenges or contradicts What you understand the Bible to say literally should be ignored, should be avoided, should be condemned. That's not always true. We've been deceived. Some of you have been deceived by academia. You went off to college or you had an advanced course in high school where a professor or a textbook persuaded you to think that you can be one or the other. You can either be scientific and smart, or you can be spiritual. You can be religious, or you can be rational, but you can't be both. And that is a lie. We've been deceived most of all by the media. Because the media makes money on stories where there are antagonists and protagonists, where there's conflict. So the media has taken this issue and created, they've manufactured conflict. And CNN is hell-bent on portraying atheists as rational thinkers and Christians as backwoods bigots. And Fox News is just as hell-bent on proving every scientific discovery wrong and every Christian belief right. And they, they, they both deceive in their own way, in the way that they perpetuate the conflict. They perpetuate the illusion of war between science and, and faith. But most of the Christians I know, most of the people I know, especially people my age and younger, know the deception is real and know the media can't be trusted. So here's a little bit of uh, study, uh, facts for you. Uh, the, the latest studies indicate among young Christians, 52% of young Christians aged 12 to 17 plan to pursue a career in a science-related field. More than half, 52% of Christians aged 12 to 17 plan to pursue a career in a science-related field. And most Americans, most people in our culture believe that faith and science are natural enemies. And so we in the church have to look at this and say, if 52% want to enter a scientific field and they will work with science for the rest of their lives, and most Americans have been led to believe more and more that faith and science are at war, what will happen when these kids grow up? And we need to have, we need to have this conversation. So I want to introduce four ways in which science and religion have uh, talked to each other, have interacted, and uh, four ways that science and religion can uh, be in relationship with one another. So first of all, science and faith can relate by disparaging one another. They can divide from one another. They can be in dialogue with one another, and they can defer to one another. Now, the lie that we're told is that usually science and faith disparage one another. Science and faith, at best, divide from one another, and they work in separate circles. And you've heard the, uh, the, the, the statements like, well, science deals with facts, but religion deals with faith. Or you've heard science answers the how questions, religion answers the why 
questions. Those kinds of things are fine to say, but really they're gross uh, caricatures of what's really happening. Those uh, lines between science and faith and the realms that they address aren't so clearly drawn. More and more, both in the scientific community and the theological community, people that are doing good work, good honest work, are coming to terms with the fact that religion, that faith, can also help and contribute to the how questions. Faith and religion deal with uh, with uh, the statements of fact, and not just statements of faith. We're going to talk about absolute truth next Sunday. Every religion makes truth statements with a capital T. Those are statements of fact. Now, science can help with those statements. Science can help religion and faith as we address some of the why questions. Science can help prove or disprove and help us correct some things that we've gotten wrong, and that's happened. But science isn't just about facts. Science requires faith. Science is an act of faith. One of my favorite scientists is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Any Neil deGrasse Tyson fans in the house? All right, I love him. We don't agree on everything, but I love him. I love what he brings to the table. I love his honesty. And I heard one of his lectures this week, and at the end of this lecture, he gave what sounded like a sermon. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Neil deGrasse Tyson's Greatest Sermon Ever. And it is this wonderful clip where he says he has no doubt that he was called to study the universe. Called. He says he was called by the universe or called by something he didn't understand. He used the word transcendent. He was called by something transcendent that he couldn't understand. I'm not saying that was a Judeo-Christian God that necessarily called him to do that. I'm just saying he felt something greater than himself leading him to do this. He said it was an irresistible call. That's the way I talk about my call. And then he talked about the discoveries that he came along uh, and, and discovered over time. And he talked about them as being epiphanies. He said these discoveries were other, otherworldly. They were something he couldn't wrap his mind around. And, and, and he, he talked about science as a spiritual experience. He talked about science as a faith experience. It's exactly what it is. Because for anyone to honestly go about the work of science, they have to assume things that can't be proven. When you do science, you have to assume that the world can be known. Things about the world can be known and that the human brain is a reliable source of knowing things. You have to assume that these natural laws that are constant will stay constant. We don't know why they stay constant. We don't know, you know, if they will remain constant. But you assume that when you go about the work of, uh, of science. You, you assume uh, these things that, can, that cannot be completely uh, proven. You assume, most of all, that there are answers to the questions you're asking when you pursue them. That's why you go about the pursuit. The scientific method, dig back into your sixth grade memories for a moment. You remember the scientific method begins with a question. Pursuing an answer to that question requires some faith that there's an answer out there to be found. You start with a question, then you do some reflection, you do some research, then you form a hypothesis. You remember how this works, and then you test that hypothesis, and then you analyze your data and you draw conclusions. You make changes if necessary, you report your results. Y'all remember sixth grade science fairs, right? Okay. <clears throat> this method itself illustrates how the faith element within science 
works. Uh, And the reason why this feels so natural to us, when I look at this, it's so funny to me. This is how we go about creating sermon series at The Story Houston. We begin with a question. Y'all know that. We start every week with a question. This didn't even occur to me until this week. We start every week with a question. I research and reflect on that question. We construct a hypothesis. That's usually the title of the series is our hypothesis. And every worship service, every small group, every prayer group, it is, it is, it is, a testing ground. It is our laboratory for testing these things. And Christians have for years questioned, reflected, hypothesized, and and tested, and made changes if necessary for hundreds of years before we were doing formal science. People, not just of the Christian faith, but of all three monotheistic faiths, Jews and and Muslims and Christians have for centuries gone about this business of of really doing theological science. In the 5th century, St. Augustine uh, said that theology is a passion of the mind. I think we have this impression that Christianity, the Christian faith, can seem anti-intellectual. It has not always been that way. That is a new phenomenon. And that's really a Western phenomenon. In the 1100s, St. Anselm of Canterbury said, theology is faith seeking understanding. If I were to take this word out and just leave science, you could say the same thing. We are doing the same work. We are faithful people seeking understanding um, together. So now, uh, have we always gotten this right as Christians? No. Have there been bumps along the way? Yes. One Galileo comes to mind. (laughs) Some of you know about Galileo, who proved that the earth revolves around the sun and that the earth is not the center of the universe like the church claimed. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly claim that the earth is the center of the universe, but the church, church doctrine said it, and Galileo's studies conflicted with it, And yes, the church leaders threw Galileo under house arrest for the rest of his life. It wasn't the church's finest hour. I trust that Galileo got an extra wing on his heavenly mansion when he got up there for everything that he went through. But it's, it's really easy for us online to see atheists and doubters and agnostics kind of throwing the church under the bus for that one incident. But uh, it's easy for us to forget that without the church, there would have been no Galileo to begin with because he was funded by the church, supported by the church. He himself was a Christian. And uh, so much of the emergence of science uh, tells the same story. So there will always be religious legalists who say all things scientific should be avoided. Just like now, this is new, but now there are scientific legalists, a group called the New Atheists, that think all things religious are evil. And it's funny hearing an atheist use the word evil, but uh, they think all things religious are evil and should be avoided. But what I'm telling you today is that those people on the extremes are like on the opposite extremes of a bell curve. You remember that from science class? A bell curve where you have the extreme minorities, but mostly in the middle you have this majority of people. You have really faithful people who appreciate the contributions of science, and you have really smart scientific people who know the value of faith and know the value of religion, and that's where most people lie. And here's some stuff that you don't hear very often. More than half 
of American scientists believe in a higher power that guides the universe? More than half. 36% of American scientists in the academy have no doubt in the existence of God. It's compared with 38% of the general population. Do you see how these things have been blown out of proportion? Especially young people, as you've heard, there's such a divide. The impression is that um, whenever you work in a scientific field, the deeper you get into the science of it, the longer you're a scientist, the more doubts you will have about your faith. Most recent studies indicate that the opposite is true. If your faith is strong when you get into it and you remain a Christian throughout your life as a scientist, the deeper you get into it, the more faithful a person gets. So scientists who are Christians tend to be more faithful, not less. God tends to be more relevant to them, not less. Because when you have a solid foundation of faith, if you've been taught how to read this book, if you've been taught how to be in personal relationship with God, the things you discover in a laboratory make God more interesting, not less. Now that's a big if. Because remember I told you before, 52% of Christians aged 12 to 17 are going into a science-related career. The same study showed that only 1% of pastors and youth pastors have talked about a science-related topic over the past year. 1%. So we're sending our young people, not this church, but the capital C church, sending our young people off to college and off to their careers without really having talked to them about the real questions on their minds, the cries of their hearts. They're waiting till they get out to the parking lot to talk to their friends or on Reddit or wherever to talk to their friends about their real questions. We are telling young people what to think about God instead of teaching young people how to think about God. Do you see the difference? We're telling people what to think instead of teaching people how to think. But following Jesus isn't just a matter of the heart like we've made it out to be. It is a matter of the mind. And it always has been. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, you should love the Lord your God with all your mind. Jesus intentionally adds that. The Old Testament quote is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus adds the mind to the mix. He says, love God with your mind. A thousand years before that, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 111, he said, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Young people, the Lord wants you to study. Amen. Studied by all who delight in them. The Apostle Paul says a lot about loving God with your mind. Romans chapter 1 Verse 20, Paul says that God can be known, God can be understood through the things that he has made. Throughout the Bible, we find evidence that God gave you your mind. God gave you the ability to think. God takes delight when we pursue understanding. Whenever I hear about a new scientific discovery, I picture God up in the heavens going, they really, they really want to know. They really care enough about what I've made to pursue knowledge. And I, I picture him up there with Peter, like when we finally figure something out, God's like, 
They finally got it. Who, okay, there's like a pot in heaven. Like who had September the 13th, you know, 2015 and like Jesus wins every time, you know, because he's Jesus. <clears throat> and I just, I just, I picture God delighting in those who study his works because he can be known through his works. This week, paleontologists found a, a, a new discovery. You heard about this, South Africa, in a cave. There's a new close genetic relative of ours. There he is, everybody say, hey cousin. <laughs> I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, can y'all tell? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> There was all kinds of controversy about this. There always is, you know, online. And CNN.com was like, is this the end for biblical creationism? And FoxNews.com was like, why do scientists hate Jesus? And like, and like, and I heard this uh, a conversation in a coffee shop among Christians, and they were talking about why science can never be trusted, and that you know, uh, that that who knows what these things are. And science has an agenda. You can't trust science. And then they shared Bible verses with each other using their iPhones. <laughs> the irony was lost on them. Look, some, some Christians will always be upset. Some Christians will always be angry. I, I, I hope that I'm the kind of Christian who is always in a state of awe. Some Christians in the face of new discovery will say no, and some Christians in the face of new discovery will say whatever. I hope that we at the Story Houston are raising up a generation of young Christians who in the face of new discovery will learn to say, wow, wow, God, my God, wow. You see, when a young Christian goes off to college and their faith is rocked by some science class, our first reaction is to blame science. It's not science's fault. If you're going to blame somebody, don't blame science. Blame the church. Blame the pastor. Blame the parents if you're going to blame somebody. Because any young person's faith who's so devastated by one science class, she didn't have much faith to begin with. Because she was taught what to think about God instead of being taught how to think about God, how to be in love with God, how to trust God as the author of creation, as the author of her salvation, how to look at a new discovery in South Africa or wherever and say, Lord, my God, how did you do this? How to gaze into the stars of the night sky and be so, feel so small and insignificant and so cared for and loved at the same time and just reflect in awe and say, my God. This is the kind of Christian, I hope we will raise up. Because science is great. Young people, I want you to, when you're smart kids and so many of you are going into science-related fields, I want you to hear me tell you, science is great, but you and I both know that it alone cannot account for the whole of the human experience. It cannot account or do justice to everything we experience on the earth. Last week, Last week, there was a picture 
floating around the internet of a little Syrian boy. A little boy who was four years old. He was washed up on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea and he, he died as his family fled the horrors in Syria. And that one picture of that one little boy washed up on the Mediterranean Sea brought the whole world to its knees. And one picture of one little boy caused one nation after another to open up their borders to Syrian refugees. Did you see that happening? One picture of one little boy turned a whole issue around, made it possible for tens of thousands of people without a home to find a home in a new country. One little picture of one little boy brought me to my knees and made me cry like a baby. And I don't know why, and science can't tell me why I should love that boy like I love him. Because I love him. But he's not mine. He's not my flesh and blood. He's not my son. He's not my color. He's not my race. He's not my nationality. He's not my religion. But somehow I knew he was mine. And science can't tell me why. Science can't explain love to us. Science can't explain the way I and my wife look at our children. Science can't explain the way my wife looks at me. Science can't explain that kind of love and affection. Science can't explain why some random tones and rhythms put together turn into music that make us move and dance and make us feel and make us transcend. Science doesn't tell us those things. Science doesn't tell us why there's something rather than nothing in the universe. John Polkinghorne is a Cambridge University professor. He was the president of Queens College for a while. He said this, he said, for me, the fundamental content for belief in God is that there is a mind and a purpose behind the history of the universe and that the one whose veiled presence is intimated in this way is worthy of worship and the ground of hope. But I want to tell you today that if you're going to believe in God, don't just believe in God because your friends believe in God. If you're going to be a Christian, don't just be a Christian because your parents are Christian or because it seems like the thing to do. If you're going to choose to believe, choose to believe because you've questioned, you've reflected, you've hypothesized, you've tested, you've gone to these laboratories at your church and you've decided that life with God makes more sense than life without. You've weighed the evidence and you've decided that everything that exists is more plausible with God than without. Believe for a reason. Be a Christian because Jesus is the clearest revelation of the character of the God that made all this. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the minds you've given us. Help us to use them wisely. Help us to love you with our minds and to love our neighbors in ways that are gracious, even when we disagree with the things they say in real life or online. Jesus, online. We thank you, God for all the ways you're touching our lives and help us to respond to your grace with our own grace, our own generosity towards others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.